0: I want you to open your Bible today to the book of Genesis and we shall continue where we left off before I went to Siberia last week. And remember in two weeks time we're going to have the report of the Trans-Siberian Hope Express. What a story that's going to be. What a story it is. Genesis chapter 4 and I expect today also Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 4. And starting in verse 1 the Bible says Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said with the help of the Lord I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to her brother Abel. Uh, This is the story of the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. It is also the story of the first men and the first women who were born of our first parents. We could call these verses the story of the young and the restless, the good and the evil, the good, the bad and the ugly, and their message for us today. I want you to notice Genesis 4 and verse 1 again please because I want you to notice what the Hebrew says. Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Uh, It's very significant that when you go back to the, the ancient language and of course the book of Genesis is written in Hebrew and the New Testament, as everybody knows, is written in the Greek. The Hebrew says, I have gotten a man, Yahweh. That's what it actually says. The literal translation is, I have gotten a man, the Lord. This is a valid translation, and probably the most accurate translation. When this little baby was born, and she later called him Cain, she said with joy, I have gotten a man, the Lord. It appears that Eve believed that the little baby that was born to her was the Messiah. As you know, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God said to her and said to Adam, Something wonderful is going to happen. The seed of the woman is going to destroy the serpent. And this brought them hope in the midst of their darkness. And she believed that God was going to answer her prayers and the prayers of her husband, and soon the night of sin was going to be over. How little did she know that the baby that she thought was the Messiah was going to be a murderer. So she said, I have gotten a man, the Lord. A great Christian author made this remark, God's purposes know no haste and no delay. You read later on in the Scriptures, thousands of years later in Galatians, the Bible says, that in the fullness of time God sent forth His Son made of a woman born under the law. And so even though she expected the purposes of God to be fulfilled in her lifetime the purposes of God were not fulfilled until thousands of years later. I want to remind every person here today that God's purposes are always fulfilled on time. I'm a very impatient person. I like to see things happen yesterday. Stephen said, Is he? <laughs> I like to see things happen. Most of us like to see things happen. But God's purposes know no haste and no delay. Whatever God does, He does perfectly, and He does it on time. In another portion of the Scriptures in the New Testament, somewhere in John, you read the story of the death of Lazarus. Now Lazarus was a very good man. He was the friend of the Lord's. And Martha and Mary sent Jesus a message, and they said, He whom you love is sick. Now one would think that Jesus would have made haste and run to go to save the life of Lazarus but the Bible says even though he knew he was sick Jesus waited for two full days and after two full days he went to see Lazarus but apparently it was too late because Lazarus was dead and Martha met Jesus with the the words Lord If you had been here my brother would not have died. A famous commentator wrote an article on this and called this chapter The Delays of God. The Delays of God. Do you sometimes my friend pray earnestly that God is going to answer your prayers and you find that God apparently delays His answer? many many times we are in haste but God's purposes know no haste and no delay whatever God does he does best and he does it at the right time and so Eve said I have gotten a man and he is the Lord and she of course was wrong and if you notice verse 2 it starts the story of the two brothers I want you please to notice the story of the two brothers, Cain and Abel, and this is interesting when we think about bringing children up. A verse. Let's read verse two. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now, did you know that some commentators, uh, with some validity of argument, believe that Cain and Abel were twins? there is no absolute proof that this is so but there is some evidence and it could be so because it is the custom of the Bible writers to say something like this Adam lay with his wife and she conceived or Cain lay with his wife and she conceived and it says in the text Adam lay with his wife and she brought forth Cain And then the Hebrew text says, and she also later brought forth Abel. It is a possibility that Abel was a twin who was born after Cain. That is a possibility. And here you have the story of the two brothers who had many things in common. I want you to notice the things that they had in common. It is quite significant. Uh, Obviously they both had the same parents. Uh, they had the same opportunities and they had the identical environment but they had very different ends has anybody here ever heard people say when a child goes astray there must have been something dreadfully wrong with the upbringing have you heard people say this i've heard it said have you heard it said steve if a child goes astray you hear the critics, they'll say, well that tells you something, there was something wrong with the parents, there was something wrong in the family. But here you have the same parents, the same environment, the same opportunities, the same setting, everything was the same. But one boy became a martyr and the other boy became a murderer. And when people are quick to criticize parents because their children or some of their children go astray they ought to be careful because God himself is a father. And God himself had a big problem in his own family. One of his chief sons was an angelic being whose name was Lucifer and yet he went astray. And so we need to be very, very careful about pointing the finger at the parents when children make mistakes. How can a person explain that Cain became a murderer and Abel became a martyr? How do we explain it? It's not easy to explain except that we must recognize that God has given to each one of us that gift which is very hard to comprehend, and that is freedom of choice. I freely confess today, I do not fully understand freedom of choice. I know that I have freedom of choice, but others ask, but why does one choose this way and one choose the other way? Now that is not for me to even try to understand. But God has given me as a free moral agent the right of choosing God or choosing evil. And it appears in the Scriptures that even though both these boys had the same opportunities one of them chose evil and the other one chose the good. I want you to notice a little more about these two boys and notice now their professions. in uh, I think it's verses 2 and onwards or verses 3 and onwards if you'd please notice this. Verse 3. Now verse 2. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Both honorable professions. In the course of time Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And this is where the drama commences in the story of the two boys. I want you to notice something about Cain and Abel. Both of them had honorable professions. One was the keeper of the ground and the other was the keeper of animals. The Bible makes it very plain, my beloved friend, that work is given for man's good. In the book of Genesis chapter 3 the Bible tells us that God cursed the ground for man's sake and God said, in the sweat of your brow you're going to eat your bread. And one person said, if you don't sweat you shouldn't eat. And the New Testament says, if a man does not work neither should he eat. And so work is absolutely and completely honorable. And the Bible tells us that God ordained work for man's good. And so Cain was a tiller of the ground and Abel was a keeper of the flocks. And the Bible tells us that the time came for worship, but the nature of their offerings revealed the contents of their hearts. I want you to visualize this. Here are two boys. I don't know how old they are, but they're grown men. And Cain is a hard worker, He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. You know the first lesson I learned when I came into the ministry? And I was taught by a conference president by the name of Ken Bullock who has remained one of my dear friends. He said to me, John, if a minister cannot do hard manual work he hasn't been called by God to preach the Word. He said unless a man can get his hands dirty and can work hard then God can't use him one of the greatest of all sins of course that is revealed in the scriptures is the sin of laziness God cannot use a lazy person Cain was not lazy Abel was not lazy and so Cain brought the very best he could bring in his own thinking he brought what his hands had brought forth from the ground and Abel brought a lamb or some other little animal and the author of the book of Hebrews says he offered a better sacrifice than Cain and his gift testified that he was righteous and he came in faith. So Abel came in faith and Abel came bearing blood, but came in presumption, but perhaps even sincerity, came bearing the best that he could bring of his own hands. And the Bible tells us that God had respect to Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's. And the question is, why? And let me tell you why. Because both these men represent the human race. They represent you. And they represent me. And they represent the two worshippers. Cain represents every human being who thinks he can come to God by attainment. And Abel represents those who believe that the only way to God is through not attainment but through atonement. That's the difference. Cain represents attainment. Abel represents atonement. And the Bible teaches without the shedding of blood there is no remission for our sins. Therefore Cain represents the vast majority in the world who believe with a great sincerity that they can be saved by their own works. They believe that they can be saved by their actions and by what they do. One of my talks on television recently raised a furor One person wrote to me and said, I've sent you large sums of money for your work in Russia. You'll never get a cent from me again. And the person said, I will tell you why. You have said that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And you've said that we can never be saved by what we do. And you've said that we are saved by Christ's works and not our own works the person said, I am scandalized by this teaching. This person if he is listening today ought to be scandalized by his own thinking because his thinking is the thinking of Cain. That he thinks that we can be saved by our own works because none of our own works are good enough. We can only be saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way, my friend. You and I can never be saved by trying to climb up the quaking sides of Mount Sinai. We can never be saved by our obedience to the law because none of us have kept the law of God as God intended. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but Cain my friend the first of the Pharisees the first of the legalists said I do not want to go to my brother and purchase the blood but I want to come in my own merits and the Bible says God would not have respect to his offering and the Bible says that Cain was filled with anger. It is interesting to note and I've seen it a thousand times the preaching of the gospel of righteousness by grace alone through faith alone makes many people angry. And this is not a thing of surprise because the first Pharisee Cain was angry at the preaching of the blood of Jesus. And so here we have the difference in the human race The man who comes with blood and the man who comes with his own works. And the Bible says one man comes through attainment and one man comes through atonement. I don't know if I've told you, and of course we have many dear Filipino people in this church and I love the Philippines and the Filipinos, but years ago it was my privilege to go to the Philippines at the time of Easter celebration. What a dreadful thing that was to see. I saw there the flagellants, the people who belong to a great religious system that believes in righteousness by works, that we are saved by our obedience. And there on the Easter Friday in Manila I saw scores, even hundreds of men with their backs open with pieces of glass. It was very hot. I tried to dress in a way to ward off the heat and I had a white hat on and white clothes. Before the end of the day I was covered in blood. I believe you've seen it Stephen. As these earnest seekers after God crawl down the streets and are beaten with rods and eventually a man is taken and placed on the cross and crucified for his sins. This is the offering of Cain. This is the offering of human works. This is the offering of attainment. My friend, we should never, never, never erect another cross and worship before that cross because Christ by His blood has earned our salvation. And if you are angry at the preaching of the blood of Jesus, it is because you have the spirit of Cain. And Cain became angry, and the Bible says, His countenance fell, and God came to him and said, Why are you angry, Cain? What is your problem? Notice the text, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? I would say that to you as you sit here in this church if you are angry today why are you angry? why is your face downcast? if you're sitting here in church today and there is rebellion in you ask yourself honestly why is my face downcast? if you do what is right will you not be accepted? but if you do not do what is right sin is crouching at your door it desires to have you but you must master it. Let me quote to you from my favorite commentator the famous Dr. Matthew Henry the inspiration of of a thousand ten thousand times preachers he says God takes notice of all our sinful passions and discontents. There is not an angry look, an envious look, nor a fretful look that escapes his observing eye. God saw Cain. God saw the scowl. God saw his heart. God sees you today. There is nothing that we do that is hid from his eyes. He is an all-seeing God. And when Cain brought the offering of the fruits of his hands and when he scowled and when his heart was filled with anger God said to him, Cain, why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, Cain, Then you ought to recognize that there is a reason why you are not doing well. Sin is crouching at the door. Like a beast of prey, like a tiger or a lion waiting to devour, sin was crouching at the door. And he said, It is about, the animal is about to pounce upon you, but it is not too late. Even though Cain had brought an offering which was an abomination, it was not too late for Cain to repent because God said you can still master it. I want to ask every person today watching on television, if you are doing well, will you not be accepted? And if not well, then sin is crouching at the door and you will do well to master it or it will master you. And this was the message of God to Cain. There was still a way of escape if he would be wise enough to turn around. Would you please notice verse 8 of Genesis 4. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I want you to notice today very plainly that the way of sin is downhill and men have a tendency to go from bad to worse. Matthew Henry said, See what becomes of envy, hatred, malice and all uncharitableness. If they are indulged and cherished in the soul, They are in danger of involving men in the horrid guilt of murder itself. Murder starts with envy or hatred, and unless, my friend, it is mastered, it grows into a ravenous beast that overcomes the victim. John Wesley was fond of saying to his preachers, do not hold envy Or malice in your hearts, he said, cast the fire out of your bosom. If there is a man or a woman in this fair church today, and in your heart there is envy or malice or resentment, beware because it lies at the door and is ready to devour you. The counsel of scripture is cast the fire out of your bosom. There is nothing worse than allowing a little coal of resentment to become a blaze of hatred because it will become a consuming fire and it will destroy you. And so God said to this man, cast the fire out of your bosom but he allowed the fire to burn on and he said to his brother whom he should have loved and protected as his young brother let's go out into the field let's go for a pleasant walk and when they went for a pleasant walk he murdered his brother so the story of scripture is this that the first man born of woman was a murderer and the second man born of woman was a martyr and this Uh, Is a recognition of the depravity of the human heart. Would you please notice verse 9? Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And what was the answer? What was the answer? Will you answer me? Am I my brother's keeper? What is the answer? The answer is surely yes. I am my brother's keeper. You are my responsibility. I am your responsibility. Every person is a child born, made by God. I am my brother's keeper. You are my responsibility. Your brother is your responsibility. Some people have said to us, Why the Trans-Siberian Hope Express? Why go across Russia in the dead of winter giving out tons of medicines and Bibles? It is simple. I am my brother's keeper. They need our help. People need your help. No man is an island. If you are living to yourself my friend you are not living the life of a Christian. Every man is called to take care of his brother. He said, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes. Now notice verse 10 and onwards. Verse 10 and onwards. The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. So this text makes it plain, my dear friend, that God is judge and nothing is hid from him. And his sentence is righteous. The United States of America over the last two and a half years has been fascinated by the O.J. Simpson case. Some would say ad nauseum. When one turns on television, it is O.J. When one picks up Time magazine, it is O.J. Several years, two juries with two verdicts. Just a few days ago in Santa Monica, a jury found him on eight counts guilty. But I guess it isn't over yet. But let me remind you that God's judgment is quick. God's judgment is quick. God as judge is not like Judge Ito. God's judgment is quick. God's judgment is certain. God's judgment is impartial. God's judgment is truthful. God's judgment is just. And God's judgment is unanimous. Because when God pronounces your judgment you'll say amen. In fact the Bible says when God pronounces His judgment The whole of the universe, saved and lost, will cry out, Just and true are your ways, you king of saints. And so the judge sat and Cain was found guilty. And the end result of his sin was that he was to be a restless wanderer. This is the state of man without God. I wonder today... As I talk to you on television, as I talk to my church here, are you a restless wanderer? Are you restless? Have you got no peace? Have you got peace in your soul today or are you a restless person? Matthew Henry I quote from him again, he says, there is not a more restless fugitive upon earth." than he that is continually pursued by his own guilt. And the Bible says he was driven out from the presence of the Lord and he went and he lived in the land of Nod. And that means wandering. Would you notice at Genesis 4 verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Not so, if anyone kills Cain he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, we don't know what it was. He put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Nod means wandering. I think today are the vast number of people that I have met who are wandering. They have no peace, they have no rest, they have no contentment. I want them today to come to Christ because Jesus said come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden I will give you rest. There's only rest my friend when we get rid of our sins and we take Jesus Christ into our hearts. Would you please read now the story of this man who was now a wanderer. Verse 17 Cain lay with his wife She became pregnant gave birth to Enoch. That's not the righteous one. Cain was then building a city. He named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Ered and Ered was the father of Mehujael and Mehujael was the father of Methusael and Methusael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Adar and the other Zillar. Now Here we have polygamy not taught from the word of God but as an invention of the followers of Cain. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played the harp and flute. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Neymar. Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. And so we leave them there for a moment in their state of wretchedness. And verse 25, Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. At that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. And here we have introduced the story, my friend, of the two classes of humanity. The sons of God and the sons of men. Now notice please chapter 5 and verses 1 to 3. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him how? In the likeness of God. I want you to notice this. We were made in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man or Adam. This is a generic term. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness in his own image, and he named him Seth." I want every parent listening today to notice these words. Man was made in the image of God, but when man sinned and had a son, the son wasn't born in the image of God, but the son was born in his own image. That's why Spurgeon said, Within our veins is the black blood of Adam. That's why Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Because we no longer have this wonderful image of God. We have the image of fallen humanity. The Indians tell an interesting story about a dirty old shag. That's an ugly old bird. And he was there in India having his breakfast of snails in a filthy swamp. And down from heaven came an exquisite, magnificent swan, beautiful. And when the swan saw the shag, he said, Good morning, Mr. Shag. And he said, Good morning, Mr. Swan. Where do you come from? He said, I come from heaven. What's heaven like? Oh, he said, It's magnificent. And then the swan told him about the crystal lakes, the wonderful forests, the streets of gold, the superlative palaces. And when he got through, the shag said, I would love to go to heaven. Could I go? Yes, he said, you can go to heaven. Ah, said the shag, I will go to heaven, but let me ask one question. Do they have snails in heaven? Oh, said the swan, this is an Indian story. Oh, said the swan, we don't have those wretched, dirty things in heaven. Well, said the shag, you can have heaven. I'll have snails. Was it strange that the shag wanted snails? It wasn't strange. That was because he was born with that nature. People without God would rather have snails than heaven. It is the work of the gospel to take old shags that enjoy snails and transform them into swans that will enjoy the bliss of heaven. This is what the gospel is about. This is why Jesus said you must be born again. And so the Bible tells us that when Adam had a son He was born with that carnal, sinful human nature that needed to be born again. Please read on. Verse 4. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years. And now you have the great words never said before. And then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh, And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years. And then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived 905 years. And then he died. When Kenan had lived seventy years he became the father of Mahalalel and after he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters, altogether Kenan lived 910 years and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared and after he became the father of Jared Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters, altogether Together Mahalalel lived 895 years and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether Jared lived 962 years and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years He became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Here is the one word of hope the Bible says they lived hundreds of years people say literal years yes hundreds of years how could it be because these people came fresh from the hand of God when we went on the trip on the Trans-Siberian Express we took television cameras and we took battery charges and those battery charges would work all night to charge up the batteries very expensive equipment but the cold And the severe conditions made the batteries lose their energy very quickly. But when God put Adam on the tree of life, he put him on a battery charger that lasted for 900 years. And when man eats again of the tree of life, 900 years is going to be nothing. But the Bible says there was a man born whose name was Enoch, and he had a son. And the Bible says having that son brought him into a relationship with his heavenly father. And in the midst of a world that was stinking and corrupt and ripe for the judgments of the great flood. A world filled with crime and evil worse than Los Angeles. Filled with every evil terrible sin. The Bible says he walked with God. You can walk with God in Los Angeles. You can walk with God in Hollywood. You can walk with God in Sodom and Gomorrah if you have God in your heart. And so the Bible says here was a man who walked with God and then one day God said, come home. Those people knew very little about the resurrection. This man did not die. This man was not resurrected. But like the prophet Elijah, he was caught up in glory and he went home. And people said, unbelievers said, where is Enoch? And the believers said, he's home with Jesus in glory and we have this hope. So God gave to the people back there hope. That one man had made it to the kingdom of God. And if one man could make it, every man could make it, friend. Enoch walked with God. Then he took him away. Verse 25 and onwards. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years. Had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years. And then he died, the oldest man, but then he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years he had a son, he named him Noah, which means comfort, and said he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And that's where you and I come from. I like to think of Enoch, friend. I want you to visualize this with your sanctified imaginations. The Bible says Enoch walked with God. I can imagine they went for long walks. And on occasions they would laugh together. I think God laughs. I think God and Enoch would talk about things and sometimes they would both laugh. Then they would discuss evangelism, the necessity of preaching the everlasting gospel to all of those people. I think they talked a lot about evangelism because God is the greatest of all evangelists. I think they talked about Enoch's family and how the children were doing. I think it filled their hearts. And one day they went for a long, long, long walk. And the sun was about to go down and Enoch said, Well, Lord, it's time I got back and went home. And God said, Enoch, you've come so far today, it's closer now to my house than it is to your house. Come home with me tonight. And Enoch did. He went home and he stayed there. And he's still there. And the message of the scripture is: as Enoch walked with God and walked right through the gates into God's house, so can you, and so can I.